Welcome back to The Devil Within, A Season in Hell. Of all the media outlets that have covered the Son of Sam murders over the decades, and there have been tons of documentaries, news stories, jailhouse interviews with Berkowitz, podcast episodes, as well as entire series, Berkowitz had been portrayed on a number of dramatic TV episodes like Mindhunter on Netflix. Perhaps the most well-known is the feature film treatment the story received from none other than iconic New York filmmaker Spike Lee. In the summer of 1999, then, just 22 years after the murder spree, Spike released the thriller Summer of Sam, a brilliant, tense, sweaty, anxiety attack of a movie that captures a time and place, and most importantly, a feeling of what New Yorkers went through during that insane time in the city. Joining me in studio to discuss the film is longtime friend of the show, Jeff Marshall. Jeff is a film critic and host of the podcast On the Craft, Jeff recently appeared in episode five of A Season in Hell to share with us his thoughts on the incredible cinema of the late 70s and how art, at its best, is simply a mirror pointed at society. Mr. Marshall, welcome back to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited. All right. So you got a chance to uh, to screen Summer yeah. of Sam. Basically, we're doing a, uh, this is going to just be like a rewatch episode Love it. about this. And um, when I have movie questions, you're my, uh, you're my go-to guy. So I remember seeing this movie in the theaters Likewise. in 1999 um, and I'm from New Jersey I grew up back east mm -hmm. I remember when Spike Lee came on the scene with Do the Right Thing that was what 88 89 okay yeah. so I was 15 or 16 years old right. saw the movie in theaters loved it um, and he's become a fixture okay and there are a couple things that really stood out and surprised me about this. Cause I, again, I hadn't seen it in 25 years right. when I watched it. Sam, okay. Sam. And knowing his movies before summer of Sam and his movies after summer of Sam, this is almost, this sits alone in terms of 100%. Okay. All yeah. right. Good. Yeah, I, would, I would agree with that. All right. As far as his usual narrative. Yeah. His usual narrative right. is filmmaking techniques. Yes. Very much. Camera movements, lighting, right. uh, the, a lot of stuff that we can talk about, but real quick, um, I just want to go over some of his work leading up to it. So like mentioned, Do the Right Thing. And this is not all of them. These are just my favorites. Do the Right Thing, Malcolm X, Mo Better Blues, Jungle Fever. This movie was immediately preceded by Get on the Bus and He Got Game. And it was followed by 25th Hour and She Hate Me. But there was he took about a two-year break after 9-11. Okay, so there, he didn't have a lot of, a lot of output. Um, so first of all, Talk to me about um, where you think Spike Lee sits in the pantheon of American directors or film directors throughout history and, uh, and his work leading up to Summer of Sam. Well, to kind of piggyback on what you just said, the movies that he had prior to this that come out, whether it be Jungle Fever, Do the Right Thing, Mo Better Blues, obviously have fit a different narrative than this one had. I mean, he hadn't done maybe Malcolm X, you could argue, but that was more of bio, uh, a biographical film that he did. This was not that. I think maybe a lot of people had expectations of this being about David Berkowitz. Mm. When, in fact, he is just the catalyst of what's yeah. going on in this story. Uh, so that I, I found interesting because I, I, I remember going into seeing this movie. I was a senior in high school mm -hmm. when this came out. Remembering back at that time as well, 1999, that was when the Blair Witch Project came out. That was like the first time oh, yeah. that internet buzz 
was a thing about a movie. Yeah. I went in to go see the Blair Witch Project with 45 different versions of what that movie was supposed to be based upon what happened with the internet. This movie, speaking of Summer of Sam, was essentially supposed to be a true story. So again, you go into this with expectations of one thing or another and you get a completely different story. Yeah. So having I had not seen Mo Better Blues uh, prior to this. I had seen Malcolm X. I had not seen Jungle Fever, and I had seen Do the Right Thing. Okay. Um, so I had an idea of what kind of a story you know storyteller he was. Obviously a New Yorker through and through. You know, born in Brooklyn. I think having watched those other films prior to this one, it just surprised me. Yeah. I wasn't expecting what I saw. <clears throat> Uh, I remember even uh, recently I just read Roger Ebert's review on that. You know, this is one of the few that didn't have any African-American leads. It really did not. It had none except for himself. Yeah, really. In a very and, strange and a very role. very strange role for him to take and, and one that I, I don't actually think Spike Lee gets enough credit for what a good actor he is. Yeah. I don't think this one necessarily shows what a good no. actor he was. But if in all of my research for the season, hmm. there was an African-American news reporter. Yeah. Very dry, very... I think he was trying to be that guy. Okay. Okay. I and wouldn't have seen any of that footage. Yeah, yeah you okay. should see some of that footage because it's, it's, it's weird. Is he doing a spot on, not a parody, but is no, he doing he's a spot doing on that, He's doing an uber version of that guy. Okay. Right. All right. He's doing a very huh. uh, <clears throat> exaggerated version of this African-American reporter that did a ton of excellent coverage of Sunset okay. during the day, it, during the time. But, but it was a very strange performance from Spike Lee. Well, it makes you wonder, too, because Spike would have been about 18, 19, 20 when this actually happened. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I believe he was born in 57. Yeah. yeah. So, so he was right in the right His in the interpretation age. of it at that time and then coming back to it yeah. 20 plus years later. Yeah. I, I would be interested to know kind of what he initially had perceived and then maybe if he went back and watched footage. Yeah how that may have changed his interpretation of that, of that person. Well, you mentioned the cast, yeah. which is interesting. Phenomenal cast. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, mostly white, Italian, Puerto right. Ricans. Right. right. Um, and then he, which was a departure for him. Yeah. Because he tells African-American stories right. and he guys African-Americans in them, which is awesome. Yeah. Okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which he should. And I think he kind of announced himself kind of a lot like Tarantino. Tarantino casts to the story. Right, like that's it. Doesn't you know? He has his favorites. He has his muses. He Correct. has his favorite actors. Which Spike um, does too. Spike does too. But then, but he departed from that in this. He's worked with Denzel forever and all these people. Right. But then in the twenty fifth hour, he did the same thing. He just cast to the story. Right. Okay. Um, which I which I loved about it. Yeah. So this story, which again, and what makes a great movie, in my opinion, about like like how Spielberg told the story of first alien contact through the eyes of a 10 year old boy. Mm -hmm. Spike Lee told the son of the son of Sam's story through the lens of a disintegrating marriage because of infidelity. Yeah. Okay. And how uncertain and fear inducing and anxiety ridden that is. And then you take those feelings writ large against a city of 8 million people and you can kind of understand it. Like he goes, if you have any idea of what it feels like to be in a struggling relationship that's crumbling and how bad you feel about it and how anxious you feel and how scared you feel. That's a little bit of an idea of how the city felt during the summer. Okay. So I found that really, really interesting. Yeah. Um, the, I would say that too, the, the dissection of that, of constantly wondering, is she going to find out 
over here on one end of the spectrum, the other end of the spectrum is, is tonight, is tonight my night? Is tonight the night I get caught one way or the other? Exactly. And yeah. you see Leguizamo, we'll talk about the cast in a second, yeah. where, where he's like, he thinks that he's yeah. going to be the he's next, next victim. The list, right? He's next on the list for the son of yeah. Sam. Yeah. And that is just his guilt manifesting. Okay. Right. So it's really, really interesting. It's great yeah. script. I'm sorry. Let's, let's, let's talk the cast. So we've mentioned yeah. John Leguizamo. Yeah. Okay. Who at the time was the only actor I knew in this film. Yeah. Had Danny Ayala, uh, he was supposed to be in it. Had Danny Ayala been in it, I would have known him based upon Do the Right Thing. Mm -hmm. But I mean, Leguizamo, thanks to Romeo and Juliet, I hadn't seen Pest, but I mean, that was the only actor I knew. Yeah. And Leguizamo, yet you look at it now, like th that's a powerhouse of actors. One of the, our finest performers out there. Why Leguizamo. is he not in the conversation more? Know. If know. you look at that, oh, he's incredible. Yeah. And you look at his stand-up, and you look at the other bo the body of I, there is maybe two other people that could do what he's done. He's I don't. I phenomenal. wouldn't even know who they are. I know, but I mean, look at his one-man shows. Look at his yeah. work on stage. Yeah. His live work. His stand-up comedy work. His he can dramatic write, work. I, I, name it. I know. And I then know. you see him in like executive decision, and he can pull off action too. Absolutely. I, I, what is that? I know. I, that he is, could be dramatic. Look at him in like yeah. something like John Wick. He Absolutely. Just, his presence. I mean, he's, he's he's incredible. He's a phenomenal actor, but he also has a look that you can't learn. You can't sure. acquire his look. Yep. The way he speaks, I I think it's just he's he's one of the most unique character actors. Gosh. But uh, Sea of Love, the Pacino movie, mm. right? <laughs> incredible. So but good. Yeah. And then we have Mira Sorvino, phenomenal. Oscar winner. Excuse me. Thank you very yeah. much. Two years. Mighty, mighty two years Aphrodite. Years yeah. Yeah. Woody Allen. Yeah. Two years earlier. Something like that. Yeah. Incredible. Again, who just blew me away. I, I, uh, yeah. I, again, at the time, I don't think I appreciated it in 99. I didn't either. You know, I'd seen like, you know, Romy and Michelle and I'd, pro I, I don't even think I'd seen Mighty Aphrodite as a 16 year old. Right. But yeah, whoa. it's one of those performances that's so natural. So you don't good. realize how yeah. good she is, you know? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. Because we all have known, you know, people like that that are going through sure. that, that kind of pain and they're very honest and open about it, you know? And that was, it yeah. was just such an honest, powerful very performance. Honest performance yeah. So she definitely stood out. Like yeah. Wazamo stood out. Adrian Brody, because there's also a Amazing. coming of age story in this. Amazing. A very quirky, uh, interesting way to frame a coming of age story. It's, okay. It was ballsy. It was the really, way played, it was really ballsy. ballsy. Yeah. The way it was written was ballsy. The way it was directed was ballsy. Because And if he had been that guy in that real time, in that real place, it was ballsy to be that person. Also ballsy yeah. coming from the neighborhood he came with to Absolutely. make that decision right. to completely be himself and to go after what makes himself happy. Whoa, dude. <laughs> because listen, it, it takes all kinds, you know? And, and he really went after it. And which led to maybe my favorite performance in the movie, Michael Imperioli. He I did was, not know was a, a co-writer of the film. I, I had no idea. Believe that that was him in that cowboy hat Midnight? playing the owner of the yeah. gay club. It was he was so good. He was so good. He had like three scenes, but he was yeah. so good. Guess it helps when you write the script. Maybe you know what you're going for. I don't know. I guess so. But he was he was oh, incredible. He was really good. Um, Anthony LaPaglia completely yeah. underused. Yeah. Yep. Completely, completely underused. Maybe four scenes the whole film. He's so subtle and, and powerful ten lines and of great. Yeah. And that was that storyline, how the mafia uh, helped the police was something that I found very, very interesting and that I explored in the podcast. Don't you think it was interesting as well, Spike's choice to leave the police out of it as much? Like he, he, he did do a lot of like interview stuff, kind of like, I would say just kind of move the plot along to give us updates as to where the police were as far as finding Berkowitz. Yeah. But really they were a backdrop. 
and the mafia was put uh, at the forefront as well as uh, Leguizamo's friends yep. and their little private list that they had going on. I thought that was an interesting choice, again, to focus more on the people of the city and less about the cops. I, I don't know. I, again, not living that era, I can't really speak to the belief in the police at that time, but we right. know that high crime rate. Um, uh, a very, very dangerous time to be a New Yorker. I, I think that may have been almost kind of a tip of the cap to the police to almost spike, I think, in a way, maybe directly or indirectly, was protecting the police by not putting so much of it on them and putting the focus more on the people of the town. That's, I mean, that's an interesting point. I think to your earlier point, <clears throat> Spike was 20 years old at yeah. the time when all this was going on. And one of the, the main kind of storylines throughout these 13 months of the you know terrorizing that Berkowitz did to the city was how powerless the police were to do anything Absolutely. because of the random nature of the acts right. police were just waiting for him to make a mistake yeah. okay so the police really weren't that front and center other than everyone has overtime we're blanketing the city with cops mm -hmm. and hopefully we'll catch them so I think that could just be a function of what Spike Lee remembers at the time. Mm -hmm. the, the cops really weren't that front and center because, you know, they there wasn't much that they could do. They weren't getting anywhere. They weren't getting anywhere. Was. Yeah, yeah, they weren't getting anywhere. And I think the mafia, uh, that was actually a great scene in the, in, the, in the restaurant when the mafia is sitting there going, hey, what, how many people were killed in your city last night? How many people were killed? Go get one of them. It's like, yeah, we can get sure those guys. We Racism, know we front and center. Right. Racism, yeah. front and center. Right. And we know how to <clears> deal with those or... Yeah. Let those go because they're racist. This is um, maybe white people being killed, so therefore we have to put more effort into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah? Oh, at the, that, at the time. They made that very, very clear. Yeah. But I think one of the things that I guess just confused me about, about the script was that they set up that scene that you're talking about in the restaurant. They set up so much between Anthony LaPaglia and Ben Gazzara's character. Like, yeah. I treated you like a son, and you were my daughter, and now you're doing that, you become a cop. And then it went nowhere. Very good point. It went absolutely nowhere. They yeah. set that up. That could have been its own movie. Uh, absolutely. You know? I thought that was going to be some major so subplot. 100%. That was eventually going to intersect with the capture and or some sort of other sub-scene um, later on in the film. But yeah, we never get closure on that. And it also makes you question, then what was the backstory necessary for in the first place? Why yeah. bring that up? Why establish that relationship to not follow through on it later? So that's the cast. Uh, who else in the cast? Jennifer Esposito. Jennifer Esposito. Yeah. Terrific. Phenomenal. Um, Again, I, I would say at least at that point, relatively unknown. Yeah. Had done yeah. some good things, but not, you know, not to the level where she ascended to eventually. Let's talk about for a second. Uh, performances. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cause I had some problems. Oh, oh good. Good, <laughs> good, good, good. With a couple of, them. all right, good. Like none this. of, none of the main ones. Mira Sorvino, awesome. Yeah. Real standout performance. Yeah, absolutely. Um, like Wazamo, terrific. Adrian Brody, as mentioned, absolute standout performance. Imperioli, great. Um, in a supporting role. Jennifer, Jennifer Esposito was awesome mm -hmm. in a supporting role. Mm -hmm. um, Rispoli was great as the mob boss. Well, not the mob boss, as like the underboss. But yeah. Gazzara was terrific. He does what he does. Yeah. Rispoli had a lot to do, and he was great. After that, I feel like. Uh, the performances weren't really focused on that much. Hmm. You know, like a lot of the mob henchmen, I thought those guys, were just, those guys were a waste sorry, of just space bad. at times. Yeah. Just, yeah. 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 And, and so I didn't like, I didn't like those guys. Um, and uh, wait, John Savage had like fourth or fifth billing for like two lines as the photographer. Right. Yeah. That was kind of weird. 
but but good. But so all of the main characters, I really appreciated the performances, but a lot of the supporting cast, I really, really didn't like at all. And I'm going to forget the, the character's name that was kind of the drug addict trying to sell the lobsters there. Uh, oh, I yeah. Liked, you know, smoker, drug addict, the heroin addict. Yeah. We, we see him shooting up later. I also felt like he was giving a lot more, given a lot more attention yeah. than maybe he deserved. But I would say, I, I think of the the core guys that were on that street corner, he really did the best job. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, the actor that we um, recently lost, it was on The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, that was. Um, oh, uh, yes. The, the homosexual. The, uh, the, we call him Bob the Fairy or yeah, something? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Thank yeah. You. yeah. Just recently passed. but uh, Oh, I didn't even put that together. Phenomenal job Whoa, that he that's did. that's right. Um, I'd only seen him really in Uncle Buck before Marvel's Mrs. Yeah. Maisel. That didn't really... He looked so different. I will just he have to say that. He was the bartender that, but, at the comedy club in yeah. Marvel's Mrs. Maisel. Yes, yeah. yes. He was, yeah, he was uh, Susie's you know, right hand. But yeah, or Susie was I his. Knew but, I yeah, it, that guy. I, I would say that a lot of the supporting characters were... Although I will say Adrian Brody's father played by or stepdad played by Mike Starr, uh, especially at the end of the film, really does get yeah. get to cut his teeth on some scenes. Um, yeah, he does. Him and 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 Patty uh, Du Le, right. Le, Le Dupont. I can't remember. Mm -hmm. But anyways, both of those very small parts I think had a greater impact because you'd give me a scene that was rooted in love. Mm -hmm. So I had something between the two of them and Adrian to kind of build on and go through later. To the point where these other actors, I think that we're talking about, I don't want to, I don't necessarily crush them for their performances yeah. as much as did we really develop them though? Did right. we have enough to give them context yeah. for what they were supposed to be doing? Uh, did we give them enough as far as dialogue to really know where they're coming from? I don't really know. I feel like that, along with the story between La Paglia right. and the mob boss, was just underdeveloped. Not enough there that they probably just could have just been scene fillers and not needed to really. Yeah, I agree. But if they're going to be talking, if they're going to be performing, right, exactly. right, you know, like I said, cut the dialogue at that point. Yeah, like make it happen. You know, there are all these great stories about Scorsese, that great story from Jonah Hill with Scorsese, where he was on the scene where he's just quitting on yeah. the on the payphone. Yeah. You know, a couple of lines. Yeah. But he wasn't getting it. And Scorsese just cut and he said, let's come over here and let's just talk for a while. Mm -hmm. And then they sat in over in Video Village and didn't talk. Scorsese did a crossword and let Jonah just chill for a few minutes and said, you want to go again? He's like, okay. <laughs> but Jonah knew I'm not fucking getting it Correct. done, you know, and I better yeah. step it up. Yeah, right. yeah. So, and it, that's it, a good sign of a director. I mean, I was listening yeah. to a podcast on the way here with Mark Ruffalo on it and he was fired from a job and uh, they said, yeah, we're, we think you're making a different, a different movie. I'm like, well, whose fault is that? Mm. I'm not here making my movie. I'm here making your movie. So, if I'm making a different movie than you want me to make, guide me, direct me. Right. That is the point. But I think to your point of sharing the Scorsese story, you have to know your actor, which one you're dealing with in particular yeah. to know what do I say? Or in this case, what do I not say in yep. order to get my point across yep. to get the performance I want? Wow. All right. So we open yeah. up in this movie in, in 76 and mm -hmm. having done all of the research that I did on all these murders, they were... Yeah pretty faithful recreations of oh, the actual location, the modus operandi that Berkowitz would use, um, the people, the vehicles that they were in, the locations, like I said, all that was... And I, as far as I know, the letters as well. We're almost the letters, verbatim. The letters, there were some chunks that were okay. cut out. 
but oh, okay. But for at least the, the what was what shared was said was, was actually written okay. from Berkowitz. Good. Yeah, which Good. which was really interesting. Um, starting with the Donaloria murder in the Bronx, which where it all where it all kind of started. Mm-hmm. Um, but they showed you know the Voskarician murder where she Virginia where she was there by herself, put the school the book. book in front of her yeah. face. All that it was the two girls sitting on the stoop mm-hmm. where he was trying to ask for directions, but just stopped and then started shooting. Um, <clears throat> In front of the nightclub in in Queens, uh, so they they got all of them, which was really interesting to see that, mm-hmm. um, and really incredibly violent and yeah. bloody, cold blooded. Oh yeah. gosh, so very well kind of executed there. Um, I wasn't really into Bataluco's performance as Berkowitz. I felt that mm-hmm. was I felt that was kind of forced a little bit. What did you think about him? I I did not care for the apartment stuff. Yeah, anything outside the forced. apartment I enjoyed, especially when he, he is arrested. The way he kind of looks around at the crowd, the way he looks in the car, I actually found him to be so compelling as a as an actor. Yeah, it reminded me very much of not. It didn't remind me much of, but I guess you could draw a, a parallel to. Uh, George Clooney at the end of Michael Clayton, just kind of riding around in the cab, not saying anything, but yeah. making a point. It was a good movie. And, you know, yeah, well, phenomenal. <laughs> but like when, I, when I'm looking at Berkowitz and his reaction and taking it all in, that, that I thought was very telling yeah. of where he was mentally. And I thought the stuff that in his apartment, the stuff with the dog, all very forced, very forced. to try and give us yeah. context He's of crazy. why of yeah. why this guy is doing what he's doing, right? And which I honestly kind of like, kind of like the uh, the mob bosses, you know, henchmen, if you want to put it that way. Mm. Just not necessary. I, I didn't it need it. Either. It didn't help the story. It didn't help me get him better. And because of the way the movie is, as far as we're not telling his story anyway. I didn't really need it yep. in order to understand him. I don't yep. need I don't need to understand Heath Ledger in The Dark Knight. I yep. don't need to know that backstory in order for the stuff later on to pay off. Yep. I just I don't. You know, I can just chalk up to the fact that this guy was not of uh, a sound state of mind and murdering people because the story is about the rest of the cast anyway. Yep. Oh, and BB Newworth, awesome. Who that again? I I'm, I'm so gonna. Ta- I'm no. I'm gonna give you credit for saying you know Spike always cast to tell a story. I would not have cast her. Yeah. But again, if I'm looking at Spike's point of view, this is a New Yorker who probably sees a lot of theater. BB is known for her theater. Absolutely. And probably saw that and said, "I know where to put her." Oh, and she was you know, terrific. and she was spot. There's and fearless and. Yeah. Let's t- at least talk about the the four or five main that we've talked about. BB, Mike Starr. Patty, I'm going to say there's about seven there of the main cast. You couldn't have cast it any better. Yep, agreed, agreed. All right, so we start with the film focuses on a marriage between John Leguizamo and Mira Sorvino. Mm-hmm. Okay, and Leguizamo is a very, very flawed character. Yeah. And I think there's somewhere in the Bronx up near City Island, which is a very remote part of the Bronx, like really separate from the city. Okay. Um, there's actually a great movie called City Island with Andy Garcia that kind of focuses oh, yeah. on that yeah. part of the city. I didn't know that. Okay. Yeah. Um, but so they're, they're really up and kind of out of the way, uh, but also very New York, very Bronx, very outer boroughs, um, exactly what you would think. Yankee fans, New Yorkers to the core, heavy Italian and uh, you know very ethnically kind of mixed uh, uh, demographics up there. Um, so it's John Leguizamo. Uh, plays uh, a Puerto Rican kid married to Mira Sorvino, an Italian girl. Um, and they're both from the same neighborhood, right? They grew mm-hmm. up together. They both kind of dated in the neighborhood yeah. before they got together, which, yeah. you know, 
I guess might be weird. I don't know, but if you grow up in a small town and stay there, it's it's bound to happen, right? right? Uh, And uh, you learn pretty much right away that Leguizamo struggles with fidelity. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be that kind of story, okay? Um, Which we, before we turn on the microphones, we were discussing a little bit. And and the, the kind of constraints that, or the expectation of uh, a religious person kind mm-hmm. of places on that. Um, so, and the constraints religion might place on a marriage. On a marriage, exactly, yeah. exactly. And on someone like Leguizamo with a wandering eye, there are certain uh, sexual needs yeah. that he has that yeah. he's been taught from a young age that you don't do with your wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That uh, within the confines of Catholicism, uh, within a marriage, sex is to make babies, period. Correct. That's it. Yeah, procreation only. Yeah. That's it. Right. Okay. So any other stuff that he feels like he has a desire for sexually, he would look outside the marriage mm-hmm. um, in a really strange way out of respect for his for wife. For his wife, yeah. Right. Which is That's such a fucked up way of yeah, thinking absolutely. about it. Right. Right? Because then conversely, Catholic women are 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 told to please your husband. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But then the Catholic men are told, well, you can't do this kind of stuff with Correct. your wife. So it's, it's a, it's a real kind of self-defeating kind of circular kind of reasoning. Yeah. Um, and Leguizamo struggles with it. Very much so. Mightily. Very much so. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it, yeah, I, I think you're right. Speaking about it before we started recording, it, it's, it's painful in a way to watch that happen because it's so avoidable. Number one. Number two would be, and I think we talked about this before, is it's it's so masochistic, misogynistic. Sorry, let me record that. It's so misogynistic in nature, and yet it's coming from a good place. Like that's <laughs> that's the irony of it is that yeah. I'm I'm actually trying to protect my marriage by seeking these things that I want sexually outside of my marriage. Right, and yet you have a wife. Who even painfully at times for for Mira's character, uh, Diona will actually seek out opportunities yep. to be everything. She knows what he's doing. She does. She <laughs> hasn't come out and said, "I know you're cheating," right? But she knows, or at least has very strong oh, she feelings, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's not dumb, and I feel like that's kind of the beauty of the story as it goes on. We kind of see Diona as a subservient, mild-mannered. Oh, mm-hmm. I have to I have to have to take care of my dad. This restaurant really needs me. No, mm-hmm. honey, but I really want to be here for you, and, and I will. And yeah. Nothing but love from her the entire Absolutely. time, and it's not until after they have an experience and they're uh, parked in front of the cemetery where we actually see the Italian. I think. Yeah, where she come finds out, her strength. Where she finds she her strength and hits says, her limit. No, fuck you. Exactly. Now you're going to deal with what you've caused. Yep. Right? But the beauty of it, I think, is that is... I say the beauty of her character is that even with the knowledge of what her husband is doing outside the marriage, she still has a desire to be the wife that she feels that he deserves. Yeah, she's committed to the marriage. She is committed to the marriage despite, and she's, you can tell, she's blaming herself in a way for him needing to go outside of the marriage. Yep. 
and which is the most painful scene in the film. I know we talked about it. We touched upon it a little bit was mm-hmm. her and Jennifer in the bathroom when mm-hmm. we're all having dinner. And she is asking a former lover of her, of husband. her husband, a girl from the neighborhood, girl Another, from the neighborhood. Yeah. I know you've been with him before. Not mad about that. I want you to teach me how to better have sex with my husband because yep. I know you know what he likes. Yep. This episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. Happy January. Are you tired yet of all those New Year, New You offers clogging up your feed? I am. But hey, if that gets you motivated, then good for you. Go for it. But what if a whole new you isn't necessary? What if you're pretty stoked about some areas of your life? Maybe that relationship you've been working on is really thriving, or the job you committed to is finally working out. If you're looking to maximize what you're doing right, therapy might be the answer. A good therapist can help you define your strengths, get specific, and avoid the extreme resolutions that are difficult to maintain. BetterHelp is online therapy that adapts to your schedule. After they learn a little bit about you, you'll be matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists whenever you want for no additional charge. I've been telling my audience for three seasons now how I've benefited from therapy my entire adult life. So if you think therapy might be right for you, consider giving BetterHelp a try. Celebrate the progress you've already made. Visit BetterHelp.com slash DevilWithin today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash DevilWithin. And she tries to put on that blonde wig. She yes. tries to do some extracurricular yes. sex stuff with them. Different and, name. And, and the guilt gets on him. Yes. He goes, let's just do it normal. Right. Let's just do it normal. Right. Like, it's it's so strange that 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 guilt of mistreating your wife is stronger than the guilt of cheating on your wife. Yes. It's such an interesting dynamic. And what's crazy about it, too... And I, I, maybe this is just where my mind went. Yeah. So take this with a grain of salt. He lasted about 15 seconds with his wife. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. The other two scenes that we see with him with other women, no problem lasting. (laughs) He does not love them. Right. He does not care. Right. He does not care. That's what I chalk it up to. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're welcome. That's interesting. You're welcome to feedback. Give me feedback on that. But how he behaves during. Before, during, and after yeah. the love scene with Mira, I thought was very telling. Yeah. You know, it started out to be this thing. She wanted to do this thing for him. He was on board with it, right in the middle, said, nope, can't do it. Finish quick. Why? I, I firmly believe it's A, guilt, and mm-hmm. B, I, this, is, this is my love. I'm not trying to be these things. Right. I don't have to be someone else. She doesn't have to be someone else. You think this, this character loved her? I do. Yeah. I really do believe that he loved her. Yeah. No, I actually bought their love very much. Cool. Agreed. I really bought um, their love. So his character was a hairdresser. Yeah. Like one of these sexy yeah. tight pants hairdressers, right? That just had sex with all of his female clients. Not, and not the job I would have given him either if I was writing that script. I thought that was a really good choice. It makes complete sense. It's total sense. Who talks to more women than a hairdresser in the 1970s? Total sense. Yeah. Yep. And he and he loved it, and he he did, and he hated himself for it. He absolutely he was did. such the yeah. picture of Catholic guilt. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I'll be it's honest. Be, I'm not so worried. So no, but it's become a. But it's be, you know like listening to Springsteen songs. He sings about <laughs> his Catholic guilt, right? Listening to, I mean, it, it's 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 in it's in the vernacular, yeah. right? That <clears throat> Catholicism oftentimes equals guilt. Uh, it, it's it's strange. It's strange, but but it's got to be a very captured. tormenting position to be in. <laughs> yes, you would imagine, but it comes back to one of the the basic doctrines. <clears throat> Of Christianity that were were born in sin, but then were commanded to be better. Okay, we're commanded to yeah. overcome the sin that our Creator so tenderly gifted us with in the first place. From mm-hmm. the moment we're born, mm-hmm. you better not be this way. I created you, right? So that is this this crushing kind of yoke right. that Leguizamo's character is under the whole time, and. He's got this beautiful weakness that he just he just surrenders to at every turn. Mm-hmm. At every, the scene with BB Newworth. Yeah. He's trying to get out of there. Yeah. But she's in her bra and panties. He's not yeah. going anywhere. He's yeah. not going anywhere. He's yeah. trying over yeah. and over and over again to leave, but he but he can't. Mm-hmm. Ah. And actually I in conjunction with that, and I don't know, I, I always like directing choices, like mm. little things like that. Did Liguizama have to forget his keys when he got thrown out of the salon? I would love to think that that, that wasn't in the script. I like to think that too. <laughs> right? and, and, yeah. But I, I want to connect it to your point. He could not leave. Yeah. That's what I think it is. It's like every time I want to leave, I got to go back. God, there's, I something. I, there's something pulling me back in. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't a directing choice at all. Maybe it was scripted. Maybe, I don't know. But I like to believe that if it is, if it was scripted and it was directed, it's so consistent with character. Yeah. So I do want to point it out because I think it was actually a really good choice. Another thing that I didn't really think about until now, because he was wasted in that scene, oh, that, yeah. that he's he's doing quaaludes all the time yeah. just to, to escape from what he's Very feeling, yeah. right? And quaaludes were everywhere back then. Right. They were the real ones. Yeah. And they fucked you up <laughs> right? <laughs> right and man and Rispoli so uh, and I guess I guess Rispoli was some a mid-level mob soldier something like that yeah right just we don't really know just I mean, dealing, seems dealing like he, drugs yeah, on just the corner the corner right yeah yeah but actually again god I, that's another character actor I'd like to see more work of because that guy can really nail comedy when he has to well listen, and, I know and he's from, intimidating I know him from rounders yeah, he was grandma oh, and yeah, rounders. Grandma. He yeah, was great. So I know him as the bartender that. from Invincible. Yes, he is. Right, he and was... then he can do while you were sleeping, and he can be like the, yeah. the little quirky I know. neighbor Italian. And then guy. the Sopranos oh, work. On. Yeah, Sopranos. You know, uh, small part in Kickass too. Yeah, so again, he's 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 terrific. He's been around a long time. He's really really terrific. All right, yes. so that's that's the main storyline. Is that is that marriage? Um, then I think. A, a more interesting storyline is Adrian Brody character. And this was really yeah. Brody's kind of coming out part. Well, and I, I read originally it was his film. He was the main character Leguizamo yeah. was supporting. And so that's a couple times that happened to Brody. Because remember, he was supposed to be the lead in The Thin Red Line. Oh, I didn't know about and that. And he went down to almost barely in the yeah. movie. Yeah. But that's how, you know, Terrence Malick works. Yeah. It's a very, very. Sometimes it's exactly what he shoots. Sometimes it's entirely different, right? And and he basically gave the movie to Jim Caviezel. You know? Well, and, and I, I think that probably happens more often than you think. I mean, I'm sure as a writer, and you can speak to this. You you see it on the page one way, 
you have it in your head mm -hmm. one way when you get to set and then an actor comes in and you say, well, shit, I didn't see that as potential. I didn't I, know it was going there. And then Lil Guzamo, at least from what I read, with his ability to improv, yeah. really caught Spike Lee off guard and said, I got to give him more screen time. For see, what that's interesting because, okay, I, I can understand the incredible and the incredibly interesting and quirky and cool storyline that Brody's character had, why that would be an A story in a movie. Mm -hmm. I get it. Mm -hmm. But then the way that they treated the Leguizamo character, how his fear of being discovered as a cheater represented everybody in the city's fear of, am I next of the son of Sam? That would make more sense in this, in this story to be the A storyline. So um, it's interesting that Brody was originally supposed to, I mean, I get it. I could see it either yeah. way. Well, the, I, I would look at it too. I have two points on that. Yeah. One would be, I, I think Berkowitz, you know, from listening to the pod and, and from what I know about the film and all that good stuff, Berkowitz had no arc, right? Beginning to end, he was this thing. Uh, Adrian Brody's character, uh, Richie, I would, I would argue had no arc, really. Yep. The beginning of the film, he is who he wants to be, knows who he wants to and be. And we just see him working towards that. we just that. see it. him working yep. towards that. So I don't know that that's a compelling story which is why I'm glad Berkowitz wasn't the focus and I'm glad Adrian yeah. wasn't the focus. It's a compelling situational kind Correct. of thing. Correct. Right. Adrian then, Richie, be, Richie was able to become more of the heart, mm -hmm. meaning the, the good part of it. He really was. Yeah, 100%. He was able to be more of a, you know, a more of a love character. He was an innocent. He was an innocent by yes. far. Um, and I think he represented, at least dialogue-wise, represented a lot of the people that were obviously wrongfully murdered by Berkowitz but um, ends up being the face and the voice of all the other unfortunate, innocent people that the guys from the town decided to, you know, beat up, threatened. Yeah. And all that good stuff. But I would argue that, you know, Liguizamo, his struggles that you were pointing out, um, I think that, that that arc, when we see his face looking at Richie at the end of the film, oh, wow, yeah. and he's lost his wife, now we've got our... Now we've got our closing scene. I think yeah. that there's a better arc there as far as story goes and character goes than than Richie may have uh, may have given us as the lead. Yeah, it's really interesting. You know, when when you break it down like that, it's it's. So you have Richie, who ostensibly is doing stuff that he shouldn't be doing, right. according to the neighborhood he grew up in. Right. Okay. Quote gay stuff and the or times queer yeah. stuff right. or whatever porno stuff. Yeah. You know. Um, but he's honest about it. Mm -hmm. He's doing it. Mm -hmm. He treats his girlfriend honestly yep. and treats her well. Yep. Doesn't force her into anything. Yep. She, another girl who's just out to please her man. Yeah. Right. Very much. Um, and finally finds one that's actually respectful. Absolutely. Values her. Yeah. Yeah. Doesn't yeah. want to use her. Right. right. Exactly. Like yeah. she thinks all she's good for is, is sex. Yeah. And she tried, and, he, and he's like, you don't have to do that. What are you doing? Absolutely. You don't have to do that. Beautiful scene. Really, really nice and honest. Beautiful scene. And I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, cool. Good for him. He's a, he's a good dude. Well, and actually, it confused yeah. me at first there for a second because of his work as a as a, um, as a a performer in a, in a gay club. I thought maybe he was homosexual. Right, I thought sure. that was I thought that's where we were going. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, that's interesting. I, 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 didn't, I yeah. didn't pick up on that. I didn't pick yeah. up on that. Because he was like, oh, you don't have to do that. But he wasn't like you know, disgusted by no. anything like that. No. I, I almost got the impression he wanted to of make like, sure he yeah, liked her. Exactly. Yeah. Which I didn't take which it is as so sweet. Right. 
<laughs> right. I didn't take it that way first. So sweet. Yeah. No, it was. I'm not Absolutely sure if I sweet. like you like that right. yet. Let's get to know each Which other. Which no man had ever done to her. She was like, what the fuck is well, going yeah, on? Well, yeah, I guess yeah. I have to leave. You just rejected me. He's right. Like, no, he goes, I don't no, want no, you to leave. Yeah. Yeah, it was so nice. Oh, it's beautiful. It was so yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, and then, so he's doing all of this stuff that, that the kids from the neighborhood where he grew up with, he had to hide it from them, yeah. right? He had to get into the city to be himself. CBGBs, right? The gay clubs, mm -hmm. all of, you know, regardless. Mm -hmm. And he was accepted in all of those places. Yes. He was accepted by Imperioli, a gay man, yep. knowing that he's straight. Yep. Okay. Wasn't trying to do anything. Right. Like Brody was begging him. I, I just, I got to do one show. Let me do one show. Yeah. You know, I want to do, I want more from you. I got to do one show. Really weird, cool, like interesting shows. Yeah. Okay. Right. Very and much. then, you know, he does some, some illegal stuff. He takes, you know, tricks yeah. up into his room, whatever, but right. he's trying to earn money. Okay. Great. And then, uh, and then Leguizamo, who's got a legit job, right? He's married. He's, uh, you know, on the surface doing everything right. Uh, and is accepted by the by the guys in the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's such a strange dichotomy going on. And, and it exists to this day. I grew yeah. up under a, a, a version of that, right? Where there's a certain expectation of behavior right. from your friends yeah. that might not be the, the right thing to do like like for me because yeah. i was i was an action sports athlete right i was a skateboarder and a bmx rider and i wasn't a baseball player or a football player right. or a wrestler like everybody else was in yeah. town okay yeah. and so i wasn't exactly accepted right away um, well and you were also a product of that kind of coming up at that time that was also not that was new that was, was brand new. new yeah brand new yeah yeah and so it was a little like i stopped i stopped playing football to and i wasn't good at football I was a tiny skinny kid and I get fucked up like every practice I'd get hurt. Okay. <laughs> um, and then I really liked this other stuff. And so there right. was some, you know, it, it was a small town and, and my older brother is a really popular guy with a bunch of awesome friends. And so I had protection and everything, but then I found my own friends, right? You know, there were one or two kids in town that, 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 that were into the same stuff. And then there were kids from neighboring towns. And so mm -hmm. I built my own community and I wound up to go on to be super successful at it. And it was, and it was great. Yeah. You know, it's the old Island on the misfit toys when you can find, especially, I think we see that with, that was actually kind of beautiful with Esposito uh, being the lead singer of that punk band. It was it's a great song. Like, yeah. I almost <laughs> feel like she found something that she wasn't looking for. Yes. Which was identity. She was a own. better singer than Brody. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, but again, I think the real big point you were making there is acceptance when mm -hmm. you have that Island of Misfit toys and, and you finally feel a part of a community. Yeah. Which, I mean, I felt at least my senior year when I finally decided to, to take theater mm -hmm. and I was around other theater kids that liked yep. performing. I mean, that was just, oh, so yeah, it's you, okay in this, in this classroom to be a certain way. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so, especially when it's so outside the norm of what you grow up with and what everyone around you is telling you you should be, that's yeah. gotta be an amazing feeling. It's, it is. It's, I mean, and so, and seeing, and, and you're right, seeing them on stage at CBGB's playing that yeah. song that they obviously wrote right. and that they're proud of yeah. was great. And she seemed, yeah. her character seemed free. Yep. And, and they were accepted by, and strangers. they were accepted yeah. by, by straight, but that, that was their people. Absolutely. It was their people. And so you see when other members of their group, okay, from their neighborhood, mm -hmm. and it happened twice. Okay. Like Wazamo and Mirosavino didn't even make it inside the club. 
Yeah. They pulled up and then they right. fucking left. Right. Right. And then the Italians show up yep. and they go in there and they're fucking disgusted. Yep. Okay. And then they leave. Okay. But then here's Brody and, and, and Esposito, right? Mm-hmm. From the same fucking block right. in the Bronx. And they are embraced by that community. Okay. Yeah. So. And they want to be a part of that community. They want to be a yeah. part of it. They want to immerse themselves in the community and they feel accepted there. And so what happens when Brody towards in the third act of the film leaves that community and comes quote home, he almost gets fucking killed. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's the third kind of plot line from it is the Italians trying to find the son of Sam, trying to do it themselves, protect their neighborhood. They go to torches and fucking pitchforks, yeah, dude. Right. Yeah. I mean, create mob justice, yeah. mob justice, which never fucking goes well. Okay. No. They have their list yeah. of people with no investigative acumen at all. Like it's gotta be this guy. They think it's a priest. They think it's this. Reggie they think it's Jackson. that. Right. <laughs> Reggie Jackson. Cause he's number 44. And so they land on, on Richie yeah. on one of their own yeah. because he's different. Yeah. Right. Because he wears a dog collar. Because well, well, yeah, they're just looking for any excuse. But really, to get but for, for him, but he's a kid that they're like, they're like blood brothers almost. Like they grew up together. Like Wazamo and him. But I don't. I didn't get that impression from the other characters. Did you? Here's yes, I did. And and this is something that Imperioli okay. and Spike did really, really well with the script. Okay. People that aren't. Um one of them, uh-huh. right? That uh, one of one of us kind of a thing, right? Yeah. Can't talk to Raspoli in any kind of disrespectful way or you'll get mm-hmm. fucking smacked. Yeah. You'll get beat up on the street or whatever, yeah. okay? Richie could tell him, go fuck off, fuck you, get out of here, get out of here. Yeah. So could Richie. Richie could talk to him like that and Raspoli's like, hey, come on, whoa, 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 come on, come on, right? There's so much leeway with disrespectful talk because it's like brother to brother, Yeah. okay? So Richie was 100% one of them. Okay. At one point. Yeah. At one point. Exactly. And so how great the fear and anxiety must have been for them to turn on one of their own like that. Right. Like that only comes from a mob kind of mentality. Yeah. If you take Rispoli's character by himself, hundred percent, you could talk him out of it. hundred percent. Take any one of his henchmen, any of those other three guys, even Bob the fairy, take him by himself. Mm-hmm. It's not, it's not fucking Richie, but you get all of them together egging each other on go we got to get this fucking guy we got to get him he says he's a they even turned fucking leguizamo which i think yeah, yeah. Uh, what i think yeah i think turning leguizamo that's what he says we need him need you to lure him out yeah right. we need him to lure it out you really don't you could have gone into what i mean like look they went into the club to find him they could have continued to find him i i, I think mm. they really wanted leguizamo's character to almost to validate what they wanted to do. 100%. Because yep. to your point, yeah, they he was accepted at one point. They're kind of turning on one of their own. My point is, is that I feel like they just were looking for an excuse to kick the ever-living shit out of him because they didn't like what he had become. It's oh, like, no. It's so you, sad. You, it is. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Because we want you to be this thing over here that you that you used to be. And that we, we missed that guy. And we missed that guy. Yeah. And you betrayed us by it could becoming even be this like, person. It could even be more of like, like, you know, you hear these awful fucking stories of dudes that find out that a good friend they grew up with is gay. And they're right. like, does that mean I'm fucking gay? Right? Like, they look at Richie and like, that happened to you. Could that happen to me? I'm going to beat it out of you. 
because I'm afraid. And that mentality at that time, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah 100%. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And so, and they needed like Wazamo to co-sign their kind of shit, right? They needed his seal of approval, yeah. Absolutely. I really feel bad because they knew he was closest to Richie. Then at that point, all, all stops were pulled. You know what I mean? They had they they had all the excuses they need. All the boxes were checked to go accomplish what they wanted to accomplish. And do you think, and, and this is where the performances were, I, I really enjoyed. I think, I believed them when they said, we're just going to take him to the police station. I don't think that they were going there to beat him down. I think that they believed that. I knew that it was going to happen because Richie wasn't going to go an quietly. Interesting question. Because yeah. Richie wasn't going to go quietly. I think they had themselves convinced if he just doesn't give us a hard time, all we're going to do is take him to the cops. That's it's it. Interesting. That's all we're going to do. And then here's here's Richie swinging his guitar and, yeah. you know, and fighting because that's what he's because he doesn't trust him. Of course, you know. That's so an that, interesting yeah. thought. So, and then the look on Raspoli's face when he hears they caught the guy. Yeah, it's all over the news, yeah. and he's like. No, I know. And that's, it makes you wonder if he would have had the same reaction mm. had that, had he not found out that news. Mm. Like I said, I'm wondering whether or not, like what you just said, actually, they, they went there with maybe good intentions of right. taking him to the cops, but it, you, you rewind five minutes earlier where Leguizamo tries to call the cops. Yeah. And Raspoli was like, fuck the cops. We're not calling the cops. Do you know what I mean? Like, I think he went there with, like you said, maybe the right intentions. Yeah. But at the end of the day, I really believe they went there with the intention to harm. If nothing else, more because they were just, they felt betrayed. Yeah. I think they were looking for any excuse to try and get their friend back to being the way they wanted him to be. Yeah. Um, Wow. And then the reality is, is that now we've done what we did. He is still who he is. And what have we done? Right. So that's how that storyline ends up. Leguizamo and Mira Sorvino wound up broken up. Great scene when she finally leaves him. Heartbreaking. Great scene. scene. I buy that scene. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. I would honestly say he does everything. He's throwing shit out the window, and she's like, "Do what you're fucking doing. It's done." Absolutely. So. Yeah. The 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 way she holds his face mm. and says, "I just don't believe you anymore." Oh, it's man, so oh, man, beautifully oh, man, done. Because oh, 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 there's, a, I mean, he grabs her legs. He's begging. He's on yeah. his knees. She can't help but put her hands in his hair. Like it's, she's still fighting. Yeah. I, her mind is made up, but the love is not gone. The trust is gone. Marriage is over. Marriage is over. over. Yeah. The love is still there. Yeah. So that is a really devastating scene. Mm. I would also say that any scene with just Leguizamo and Brody, I buy. I yeah, buy. Agreed. I just same. My same. favorite scenes, like whether friends. it be in the diner, yep. When they're talking out on the corner and he gets them all riled up, I I, I don't care. Any of the scenes that were just the two of them, I was really yeah. invested in. And I love their chemistry. And Mira Sorvino, just to get back to her for a second, she's so good in it that we could do a pod just on her. That I, it's every now and then I watch the movie. I'm like, oh my gosh, she's gorgeous, stunning. She's so stunning, gorgeous. And, and yet she can look just kind of cute. Yeah, and, and play plain, it down, plain Jane, if you want. And and look at who she worked with in the '90s: Spike Lee, Woody Allen, yeah. uh, 
Robert Redford in Quiz Show. Yep. She was amazing in Quiz. Yep. She's worked with some of these luminary fucking directors. Mm-hmm. Okay. From, you know, she's Paul Sorvino's daughter, the late, yep. great Paul Sorvino's daughter. Uh, and, and she, you know, I guess retired to raise a family. There was part of that. I also caught wind that Harvey Weinstein had blacklisted her. Yeah. And so, wow. Because if, and I, I'm, I, I can't, I can't remember off the top of my head if yeah. he had any involvement with Mighty Aphrodite, but, um, I, I, I had read that that was someone that he had blacklisted and spread rumors about oh, that she Christ. was a problem on set. Um, you know, couldn't show up on time, unprofessional, this or that, and tanked mm. her career. Um, which, wow, fucking yeah. brutal. Yeah. Well, let's talk real quick about Spike Lee and how he directed this. Because, not for nothing, but if you just look at, there's seven or eight times in the movie where I could cut out a three or four second scene and show it to a film student and they would think it was a Scorsese movie. With I'm the, so glad you with, mentioned that. With yeah. lighting, especially yeah. with camera movement yeah, and with yeah, lighting. Yeah. Bright spotlights right. completely washed out in some time. And I'm like, and Spike, he never did that before. Spike Lee was known for like characters like talking to the camera and do the right thing. Or, or you know, with, with, with epic, you know, 300 page scripts like Malcolm X, right? Yeah. He wasn't really ever that kind of... I want to say proficient because he knows exactly where to put the camera and all that. Yeah, but Scorsese kind of takes it to a different level with framing and with yeah. lighting, with all of that. Uh-huh. And it looks like he was really, this was almost like a, a, a concept movie. Well, the him. opening sequence, and I, I know we talked about this in the episode for um, The Devil Within, was you just watch the way he pans left to right across Berkowitz's apartment. That's very taxi driver there going very. over the desk of yeah. the uh it was Danny Aiello right yep. was it hires hires um uh Bickle same kind of thing we're like we're, I'm, I'm setting the scene I'm giving you context yep. of what this life is for this person yeah something that I don't really see a lot in Spike Lee films but you could have said score says he shot this I would have believed you I, I would have same the the graininess of the film yes love that because uh, he could have shot it, you know, he could have shot that digitally. Chose yep. obviously for the right reasons, yep. uh, many right reasons not to. But that had a good fellas taxi driver feel to it, one hundred percent. Yeah, and he wasn't afraid to show. I mean, Scorsese obviously loves New York, but right. he shows us a terrible New York, right? All an the honest, time, an honest, New honest, York. Yeah, terrible right. version of New York. Right. It's not like some Nora Ephron, New York's beautiful and everyone falls in love, New York. Correct. Which is also. Uh, necessary and fun in movies right um spike lee also shows i mean do the right thing right Right. he showed like basically a a race war in brooklyn very painful right super painful Mm -hmm. um but showing it this way just with again with camera movement yeah and with and with really extreme lighting choices that worked so well for the movie but seemed to be a page right out of scorsese's playbook yeah, and I, I, I get the impression you're not attacking Spike for that. I, I'm not No, either, I love it. You're going to rip off, rip off from the best, <laughs> no, right? No, I would and love to think that he got there organically. I would love to think that you can't help but shoot New York at that time any other way. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I yeah, actually yeah. found myself, I, I, I've, I, I watched the film twice before we had our conversation mm-hmm. today, and, and I found myself 
really studying um, the beach scene. So uh, it's Adrian and uh, John on a beach after Adrian's just smacked himself in the head with the glass. Yep. And it's one of the few scenes camera wise where Spike chose to elevate the camera higher than the actor and shoot hmm. down on them, which I always find is an interesting hmm. choice. Yeah. Because he put the, you know, they walk down a set of steps yep. to get down to the beach from some sort of patio area. Mm -hmm. And Spike left the camera up top as opposed to bringing it down on the beach. Hmm. And I, I always like, I, I, always, I always wonder about those choices yeah. from a storytelling standpoint. Why am I looking down at these people at this point? Why are we not shooting them up? Why are we not elevating them? Why are we not face to face? Why are they not in the same, you know, why are they not right. in the same frame? I always like moments like that. But... I, I, there's just certain moments where you can see Spike Lee's signature, but I really do feel like it, it had such a Scorsese feel to it. And I, I really found myself wondering how much of that was just the time and the era that maybe this that just lends itself to that kind of filmmaking. Yeah. That I don't know. But I would love to meet Spike and Martin both one day and ask them that question because it's that both of them are synonymous, I think, with New York. Obviously, they're, they're both Absolutely. born and bred there, and I really feel like they have such a love for it. You could argue Woody Allen has a very same, mm -hmm. uh, a different scope that he yeah. sees it through, but a very, very devoted love to New York and insists on shooting there. Um, I also feel, just in talking about Spike, I did not realize he has over, I think, 150 credits. Oh, yeah. To Tons of music videos. Director. Ton of music Ton videos. Ton of music videos. Uh, commercials we know he's done yeah. in the past as well. Yeah. I challenge you to find another director that just loves what he does more than Spike because you, you wouldn't do it that much if you didn't have an absolute pure joy yeah. of it. Uh, talk about somebody who's not worried about being overexposed or oversaturated. No, he does not care. He loves to work. He wants to work. Yep. And he's obviously he's damn good at it. But I met him once. I love that. Oh, I want to hear about that. But yeah. I, I really am fascinated that somebody like that who has such a clear narrative in his, in his filmmaking like you said, 25th hour would be another one where it's just a complete departure. Yep. I wouldn't have seen that and, and bought that or, you know, wow, even same. inside man, inside man. I'm like, what like is that? That is complete. Kind of, you, you don't do I'm, Malcolm X and then do inside man. The same person doesn't shoot that film. Those know, two films. And then black Klansman oh, years later, is that to, to five bloods? I mean, I'm a, phenomenal. Really? The guy is, I don't, I don't think he's spoken about enough as a, a versatile director, yeah. but he really can do a lot of different genres and do them beautifully. Well, yeah what you'd hope they'd be. Yeah. All right. So to wrap this up, uh, scale of one to 10, where do you put Summer Sam? You're talking about just in general, not in terms of Spike just in Lee's canon. Okay. Just in general. Just in general. Uh, Below yeah. five, you don't recommend. Above five, oh, you do. Oh, yeah. No, it's 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 between a seven and an eight. Okay, I would agree. Me. Yeah, I would I, agree. I really feel like it's, one thing I probably could have used a little bit more of, I would have liked a little bit more music of the time. Mm, that's interesting. A little okay. bit more. Not much. Yep. I don't need, I, and, and I love the, the lack of score. I liked that. I just would have liked a little bit more. Um, I, I would say because, again, I saw it in 99 and then rewatching it, I kind of forget at times it's in the 70s. It's not so you see some of the clothes and the cars. And oh, you're that's, like, yeah, see, you know, you know use what? it a little bit. That didn't get in my mind because I'm so in that era still from, from all the work and on you the live podcast. There. Yeah. And you live there. And I did not live during that time. And yeah. I also did not live in that area. I grew up in California. So yeah. it just has a different look to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and and so that would have been nice. But other than that, I mean, I don't think you're going to find 
you know, better performances than that. I think performances yeah. were fantastic. Yep. It was a good script. I like the angle of not making Berkowitz the main character, yep. but more of a catalyst. And uh, I, again, having not lived through this, uh, I, I feel like it was a really good way of, of sharing what happened during that time. Yep. Or what, what, what neighborhoods might have been like at that time and what the people were like. Yeah. So, yeah, between a seven and an eight for sure. Cool. I, I would recommend, recommend it also. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Rapid fire questions to end. Okay. Go for it. Don't think about it. Just All right. Answer. Yeah, hit me. Art museum or history museum? Art museum. Passenger in a car or driver in a car? Driver. Beer or wine? Beer. Summer or winter? Winter. DC or Marvel? Marvel. Tattoos or piercings? Piercings. Godfather or Goodfellas? Godfather. Dogs or cats? Dogs. Food truck or restaurant? We want restaurant. Chocolate or vanilla? Chocolate or vanilla? Uh, chocolate, yeah. Rock, paper, scissor. What do you throw first? <laughs> paper, usually. <laughs> That's a good one. Where do you land on the Kennedy assassination? Uh, TBD, honestly. Yeah, no, I, I, okay. I've, I've, been, I've been there. I've, I've been to that spot. So have I. I've stood on the X's. Same, and next to the X's. same in the middle of the street. Yeah. I mean, if... Uh, Okay. Greatest shot of all time. If that okay. was, I mean, I mean, I don't mean that, you know, how about Roswell? I'm not glorifying it, but I buy Roswell. Okay. I buy Roswell. Are we alone in the universe? No. Picasso or Van Gogh? Picasso. Mm. Warhol or Basquiat? Oh, I like Warhol. Okay. <laughs> Tupac or Biggie? Tupac. Tiger or Phil? Tiger. All right. Last one. Best pizza in LA. Best pizza in LA. Oh God, that, that, you're talking to a Californian. I'm the last person. <laughs> all right, that should rate so maybe pizza. you should know. Oh, I shouldn't rate pizza at all. I went to New York and I was like, oh geez, give me more of this. Like I, yeah. That's no, the best that's, answer. Okay. Okay, I'm gonna say that. Uh, best pizza in I'm LA say, is in New York. Yeah. Okay. Best pizza in LA is out of LAX. <laughs> Take a first flight Excellent. down to Manhattan Excellent. and get yourself a slice. Oh. Otherwise, Excellent. you know, you can give me Papa John's and I'm probably gonna be okay with that. All right. Well, Jeff Marshall, thank you again for showing up with us. Tell people where they thank can you. find you and hear more of you. Uh, yeah. Uh, the podcast is on the craft. Uh, it's heavily based around film, uh, but uh, covers all various uh, art forms, uh, at least the seven by definition and the ones that aren't. Uh, we, we talk to chefs. We talk to landscape designers. We talk to teachers. So whatever your craft might be. But yeah, thanks for having me on the show. Man. Excellent. For anybody out there, go look up Jeff Marshall on the craft. I uh, hope you enjoyed this bonus episode of A Season in Hell. Uh, we'll catch up with you next time. You can find us on all of your socials at The Devil Within Pod. And you can listen to the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time. Stay safe out there. The Devil Within, A Season in Hell, is a Cloud 10 Media production, recorded live at Bel Air Studios in Los Angeles, California. Written and produced by Brandon Morgan. Executive produced by Sim Sarna. Our post-production supervisor is Bruce Whitkin, who also provided original music for this episode. For The Devil Within, I'm your host, Brandon Morgan. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. 
Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.